All right, well, welcome back to another episode of Bite Sized Virtue. This is episode eight of season four. And this, I think, barring, again, any, you know, last minute submissions from Linguistic Dragon or whomever, I think this will wind up actually being the last Bite Sized Virtue episode. I had originally, well, not the last one overall, but the last one of this particular season. I had toyed with the idea of like continuing on all the way through till Pentecost, but realistically having just spent time editing three podcast episodes, all for publication this week, um, I don't see as how that's going to be something I really want to keep up, <laughs> or something I really can reasonably keep. I want to keep it up, but I don't think I can. So this will be the episode, again, barring um, a submission from somewhere in the community that wraps up bite-sized virtue for the time being until uh, late November, early December, and the start of the season of Advent. So what are we talking about today? Well, happily, I got a bit of feedback. Stack Dragon wrote in, and I was actually very happy to get a letter from him. Um, he says, I enjoyed your latest bite-sized virtue episode on dishonor. I especially liked your discussion about how being honorable involves acknowledging deserved praise. I usually tend to shrug off compliments on my work. Yeah, it, it wasn't that big of a deal. Anyone could have done it as a means of trying to appear like I'm not seeking praise. What I have found, though, is that not accepting compliments often has the opposite of my desired effect. That is, the compliment giver is more likely to see me as ungrateful for not accepting their compliment. So the effect of negating their compliment is that I'm actually viewed as less honorable. And again, first, big thanks to Stack Dragon. Um, for writing in. I always love hearing from people, uh, especially when people are responding to podcast episodes. That's just the best. So thank you very much, Stack. Um, my reply to him kind of just picked up and ran with the idea that he put down. You know, uh, I'm definitely in the same boat as compliments go. Uh, to the point, in fact, that uh, my wife sometimes has to chide me to just take the compliments. Because, you know, Stack is, is very, he's correct. Not accepting what the other person is saying can and often does give offense in turn. And I mean, certainly I struggled with this for a long time to even just try and realize the fact that, you know, just letting someone thank you or call attention to something that you've done that they find value in, that's, that's hard. Or it can be, you know, if you're you're a certain kind of person, it can be very difficult to um, to really accept that sort of praise, right? You know, there's sort of this natural inclination, this natural desire to just shrug it off. Oh, it's, yeah, it's whatever, it's not a big deal. Um, it's been a very long learning curve for me, a very steep learning curve for me, too, uh, to, you know, really try and get out from... Um, always doing that and just you know letting people offer a thank offer thanks and offer a compliment when they genuinely want to i still don't think i respond in the best of the ways now i just kind of lapse into awkward silence but whatever um you know what's what stack is talking about it's it's very true people do genuinely want to compliment other people and it can be very difficult 
when the person they're trying to compliment, trying to say, hey, you know, you did something great and I want to tell you you did something great. Um, it's just like, no, no, whatever, it's not a big deal. Because nobody likes to be, I mean, like, you know, because you're essentially telling the person, well, no, you're wrong. Which tends to never go over well, at least in my experience. And it occurs to me too, you know, this touches in some ways on the virtue of humility. Um, in fact, I'm pretty sure I've used the term false humility before. Um, it isn't humble, obviously, to elevate yourself unduly, uh, to be the braggart, for lack of a better term. But neither is it humble, necessarily, to issue accepting any praise or compliments that other people offer. And, you know, that got me thinking, funnily, and maybe perhaps fittingly, it almost seems as though humility is really at the core of what it means to practice honor well. There's a, um, there's a well-known prayer, Catholic prayer. Um, it's actually really quite difficult to pray and pray earnestly, um, called the Litany of Humility. And a while ago, I ran across a Thomistic variant of the prayer, um, which had been composed by a handful of friars. And I just, while I find the Litany of Humility itself very difficult to pray, this variant of it I find very, uh, very much more, easier is the wrong term. It's not the word I'm looking for, but you know, like it's, it's, it's a little bit richer and I connect with it more. And I won't give you the complete text of it because um, I'll put I'll put the complete text in the show notes. I'll give you some examples here. You know, from all pride and its effects, deliver me, Jesus. And I'm gonna omit, you know, skip the part where I keep saying deliver me, Jesus, because the whole idea of the litany is it's you know something. There's sort of a, a repetitive aspect to it. So at the end of each of the lines that follow one would normally intone, deliver me Jesus. Um, but I'll skip that part because I just want to go through the different themes that it tries to hit on. So from all pride and its effects, from coveting greatness for its own sake or to excess, from contempt of you and your law, from a puffed up self-image, from claiming to be a self-made man, from ingratitude for your gifts, from thinking that I have earned your gifts by my effort alone, from boasting, or, or from boasting of having what uh, from boasting of having what I do not have I'm getting tongue-tied here again from excusing my faults while judging others from wishing to be the sole possessor of the skills that I have from setting myself before others from all vainglory from craving praise for its own sake from looking for flattery from withholding glory from you from showing off to the harm of my neighbor, from presumption and false self-confidence, from boastfulness, from hypocrisy, from the excessive need to be fashionable, from obstinacy and contention, from disobedience, from all false humility, from forfeiting my dignity as a child of God, from burying the talents that you gave me, from the unreasonable fear of failure, from avoiding my true vocation, from despair at my weakness. And then it flips uh, a little bit. So that's kind of the first half, um, the deliver me half. And then 
in this next half of the prayer, the intonation would change to teach me, Jesus. In the ways of humility, to know my limits and my strengths, to acknowledge the depravity of my past sins, to claim you as the author of all the good I do, to put my confidence in you, to be subject to you in your church, to be subject to others for your sake, to revere your presence in others, to rejoice in your gifts in others, even the gifts unseen, to do great things by your help and for your glory, Strength, oh, <laughs> here's another change. I forgot about this one. Um, then there's another change. Strengthen me, Jesus, to do great things by your help and for your glory, to seek greatness in heavenly things and lasting virtue, to do my best even when unnoticed, to put my share of your gifts at your service, to be neither puffed up by honor nor downcast by shame, to do penance for my sins and those of others, and above all, to strive to love you with all of my being, and to love my neighbor as myself. Like I say, I really... This is not one that I consistently pray, like the Rosary the Anima Christi, but I do love encountering this prayer and just meditating on it, because... And I think it's really relevant here, because a lot of what it's talking about, you know, hits on the themes that we've been discussing over the last uh, few weeks. Just to say, you know, it really is about, um, you know, asking to be delivered from things which are uh, contrary to truth, from things which are contrary to courage, from things which are vain, um, and from things which are cowardly, you know. Um, it's, it's very much asking to be put into a frame of, of mind and of heart and of being that is desirous of the best in others, desirous of what is genuinely true, desirous to to be courageous uh, and to stick to one's own convictions even when there's nothing that comes of it, there's nobody to notice it, there's not really even anything to show off for it. And in fact, you know, to eschew desiring to have necessarily something to show for it, to just do and act and be rightly because it is right, because it is good, and not to expect or, or feel entitled to or demand anything for it. One other thought. Uh, to share just before I close out this episode. It was in the Catholic tradition Divine Mercy Sunday uh, yesterday. I'm again recording this on Monday, which is why it's coming out a day late. Tuesday if you're on Patreon. Wednesday if you're listening uh, to the public releases. Uh, so Divine Mercy Sunday, the Sunday of the octave of Easter. And the gospel reading for Mass was the story of Thomas, and in particular his protestation at being told that the risen Christ had appeared to the apostles. You know, 
what, what does Thomas say? Well, unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger into the nail marks and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, of course, if you're familiar at all with what happens next, Christ reappears to the apostles a week later. And this is kind of a funny one because in the gospel accounts, or, or this is kind of one of the, the only times that we actually line up the timeline described in the gospel with the timeline that the church is moving through. So, of course, Christ first appears to his apostles on the day of his resurrection. That is on Easter, you know, on on Easter, basically, on what, you know, we know is what we would observe as Easter Sunday. Um, whether it was actually a Sunday, I mean, that's, you know, that's secondary to the point. The point is, you know, Christ appears on the day of his resurrection, which we mark on Easter Sunday. And then a week later, i.e. the next Sunday, he appears again. So it's one of the only times, I think, where we can really... Now, because there are different points in Scripture that we do align with, you know, particular dates in the liturgical calendar, but I think this might be one of the only examples of where the... Uh, the timeline described in Easter is exactly reflected by the date. Here we are one week after Easter, and we're hearing about events that occurred one week after the resurrection of Christ. Because he does. He reappears a week later uh, to the apostles, now with Thomas present. And he challenges Thomas. You know, hey, here I am. Put your hand here. But what's interesting is Thomas's reply, which is actually probably the most profound confession of faith recorded in all of Scripture my Lord and my God. And I say it's probably the most profound because it's, I think, the only confession of faith, you know, spoken directly to Jesus at any rate that I can think of, um, that communicates the twin nature, the, the two natures of Jesus. You know, God and man communicates his one in being with the Father, my Lord and my God. It's such a simple statement, or it's a short statement at any rate, it's not simple at all. Um, it's a short statement, very, very powerful. And you know, as I was reflecting on this uh, during and after Mass, it kind of occurred to me that, in a way, Thomas is actually not a bad example to bring forth when we're talking about honor as the Ultima series defines it, right? You know, a, uh, a courage to stand up for truth at all costs. I mean, yes, Thomas begins in doubt. Whereas, you know, others were more readily able to um, accept the resurrection without seeing Christ physically present before them. And I mean, certainly for those of us 2,000 years later um, who profess belief in Christ, I mean, obviously, that's what we're operating under, you know. Um, apart from the occasional saint who is blessed with an apparition, most of us don't really get the opportunity to see Jesus standing right in front of us saying, hey, you know, put your hand here. Come and see. Um, but, you know, okay, so fine. Thomas, yeah, he, he wasn't able to work at that level. Um, and he was honest about his doubts in this respect. But then equally, when confronted on those doubts by the risen Christ standing before him, Thomas responded with, I think, not only incredible wisdom and 
incredible insight, but just also great courage. He moved from being unable or maybe unwilling, be a better word here, to believe, to understanding, and indeed to professing one of the most profound truths about the nature of Jesus. He changes, he's transformed. And that is not an easy thing to do. That's not um, something most people, at least to the level and to the, you know, to the level that Thomas does it and with the profundity with which Thomas does it, that's not something that a lot of people do often, if at all, and it's never easy and it takes an immense amount of courage usually to effect that kind of transformation and Thomas goes through that in at least according to the account a very short span of time um, but it's a very honorable thing for Thomas to have done you know he admitted his own doubts um, he outlined you know what his doubts were and what it would take to for him to set them aside and when he got that that is exactly what he did it's a very very honorable thing for Thomas to have done uh, given the circumstances anyway thank you again for listening I, uh, I hope you've enjoyed this particular season of Bite Size Virtue I've enjoyed um, I've enjoyed recording it. It's been all on the road. Um, which has meant a lot of memorization for me, but that's neither here nor there. Um, don't want to be reading emails out in the <laughs> while I'm driving um, unless I can actually commit them to memory. So if I, if I conveyed anybody's words in error over the course of these eight episodes um, in my defense, I was reciting from memory, and I apologize, and... Uh, Maybe next season I won't have to resort to the car as much. Or maybe I will. We'll have another baby in the house. And I imagine that's not going to give me more free time to work on this, uh, on these episodes, or indeed on the podcast in general. So, thank you all for listening. Um, it's been fun, but difficult and challenging at the same time to, uh, to convey these thoughts this season. Uh, I'm hoping Advent makes for an easier one. Maybe we'll pick a better topic on it. was kind of a hard one to discuss in the end. But until then, and until next time, be virtuous. Oh.